we're going to dive in. So welcome satellites and welcome for those of you who are watching live. Um, we are jumping back into the book of Exodus. And my favorite part about this whole journey is um, our beloved and fearless leader, Cheryl. She is so prophetic. Um, she wrote a book on Exodus. <laughs> and then the great Exodus happened. And what we're entering into now is wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> and so you and I are going to dive into this session, and we're going to be wandering, and we're going to do it together. And what I've learned in my time with God is that he calls us to the desert for a reason, right? He's got something there for us. He's pulling us apart. He wants to speak to us. And so I'm excited to journey with you in this. I think that we're going to have a lot to learn. There's going to be a lot of practical application in this study. Um, the last one was a little more theological. This one's a lot more like, let's get our hands in. Let's pretend we're the Israelites and we're trying to figure it out and let's wander together. So I encourage you to be here every week. I encourage you to do the study. Um, there's going to be, I, I do believe you're going to see changes in your life life when you start applying the word in a very practical, very simple way. So um, we're diving right back in, not skipping a beat. Um, if you were with us last session, you know, we ended with the song of Moses. And so the Lord parted the sea, they crossed through, and Moses sang this beautiful, beautiful song of praise of exalting who God was and what he did for the Israelites. And so we're coming in right hot off that song. And I titled this talk, it's in your book called Be Grateful. I titled this talk, This One's for the Grumblers. Um, <laughs> this is the thing about grumbling. None of us think that we do it, right? Like everyone could name someone else in their life who grumbles. Like, oh, she's so complaining. She's so. We think what we do is like constructive criticism or very common sense feedback or just like a logical reflection that maybe someone else didn't think about and we want to help them with, right? None of us think of ourselves as grumblers, but when we look at it, we're all a little grumbly on the inside, right? We have things that we're complaining about. We have things that we're upset about. And sometimes we don't show it. And so I want us, as we go into this today, I want you to think about potentially you being a grumbler, which is kind of hard for us to think. We think of other people. Um, when, I was, when I lived in Wisconsin, um, we did this thing at my church called the Wild Game Feed. Because in Wisconsin, men hunt. That's what they do. My dad hunts. And so he was hunting, and my dad put on this big event called the wild game feed to raid money for missions or something. And so anyway, so my dad was in charge of all of this and we went to go support my dad. And so at one point of the night, my dad's running around, he's doing everything behind the scene. At one point, my sister's walking around and all the men are just praising my dad. They're like, look, look at your father. He is such a servant. He's just back there working. And we're like, oh, he really is great. We go to the next guy and the next guy is like, oh my gosh, your father, what a silent servant he is. And so we're, we're hearing this again and again and again. My sister is and I'm, she's telling me about this. So anyway, so she goes over to my dad who's silently serving in the back um, and she gets in there and my dad is scrubbing dishes and he, the first thing he says is, Juster, we gotta get the heck out of here. No one's helping. I can't believe this. Let's go. <laughs> my dad is in the back kitchen grumbling while everyone's praising him out front. So we call my dad the silent servant, and whenever there's any grumbling, if anybody in our family, we say, oh, silent servant, is it so hard for you? Like, that's what we call my family, but I think we all have a tendency to do that. Sometimes we don't grumble out loud, but we mutter under our breath. That 
reflects a posture of our heart. Even if you're not saying it out loud, if you are grumbling in your heart, that positions you with the Father and there's blockage. And so today we're going to talk about lessons for the grumblers, myself included. So I'm diving in. Uh, We're on chapter 16, if you're going to follow. I'm starting right in verse 1. So Exodus 16.1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Now, for us as a side note, this is not reflective of sin. This isn't the English word sin. It's the area, the region that they're in. So don't don't read too into that. Um, The desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So the author right now is telling us they've been wandering for a month. So think of yourself 30 days in the desert, no shower. Think about the mental state that they're in. Um, So verse two, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Okay, so the first lesson for the grumblers, the grumblies, as I call them, is nostalgia kills. We have this tendency, it's in our human nature, to over-glorify the past, to think of it as so much better then than it was now. And here's the problem. When we make the good old days the ultimate, we miss the good old today what God's doing here, what God's doing now. The power of the Spirit is only active in the present. It's not future active, it's not retroactive. We can only experience God's presence, his delight, his power in us in the moment. And God invites us to be part of this day. And what happens is the Israelites, they start thinking back to. And this is the weirdest part of the whole story because if you remember what the Israelites were living in, they were not good conditions. So here they're thinking back just on the good stuff, but the more honest story would have been, hey, remember that time that we were slaves? Remember that time that we were making bricks in the sun every day, day in and out? Remember the time when Pharaoh killed all of our children? Remember the time that we had stew? Oh, that stew was amazing. That's worth going back for. We can do that in our mind where we take a really hard situation and one thing out of it and we live like this, looking back, oh, I wish, I wish. Um, I had a little experience of this myself as I was teaching on this. Um, I went to the beach this last weekend and there was a girl's swim team staying next door to us. And the girls' swim team did workouts every single morning, like in front of the thing, and then they would swim all afternoon, whatever they did. Well, I used to be a swimmer, and so my nostalgia kicked in hard. And as I watched these skinny, little, 20-year-old athletic girls, all I could think was, oh, I remember what it's like to be in shape. (laughs) I remember what it's like to work out regularly. I remember what it's like to feel active. And my mind started going back to this time and glorifying it as, oh, wasn't that the good old days? Oh, I wish I could go back. But here's the reality. I'm a healthy woman who can work out anytime I want, and I have access to the best pool in the world, LA Fitness Lake. (laughs) They don't have a pool. Um, But anyways, we can look at the past and say, oh my gosh, I wish so bad it used to be. But the reality is God's inviting us to see the present for what it is. Now is the time. We're going into a new year. God does not want us looking back at all the good that used to happen. He wants us looking forward for all the good that he wants us to provide. And so I want you to think today, do you have areas of nostalgia in your life? 
Do you have things that you're bringing to God and maybe grumbling a little bit? Well, why isn't it like this? It used to be so good. He used to, she used to, I used to. I want to invite you to kill that thinking in 2020 because God has something new for you and I really believe that the best is yet to come. And if we're not looking for it, we will miss it. And Satan capitalizes when we look back. He loves to make us discontented with God and think, yeah, God's not actually good. He was good to you, but he's left you. He's not for you anymore. That was, that was a long time ago. Your faith is, is not valid. Satan loves to do that, so beware of that as the past calls to you and wants to beckon you. It was better back then. The Israelites say that they wish they would have died in Egypt for a pot of stew. Like, that's crazy talk. Like, that's not okay. And we can do the same thing. We can look back and overglorify it. So the first point is nostalgia kills. Um, Moving on, verse four, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Just to pause, there's all these Israelites grumbling against God and saying, I wish we would have died back there. That's like if you go and bail your best friend out of jail and you spend all your money and on the way out, they're like, I can't believe you did. I wish you would have just left me in the prison. That's like basically what they're saying to God who just set them free, crossed an ocean, and now they're complaining. And the response of God just gives us one taste of how good he is. He doesn't smite them. He doesn't smack them. He doesn't teach them a lesson. What he does is the Lord tells Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. We have a God who's so gracious, who is so good to us. Even when we grumble, he's good. So carrying on, it says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So the second point is, Testing teaches us. Testing teaches us. For those of you who are teachers, you'll understand this better than anybody. When you give your students a test, it's not because you don't like them. It's not because you're trying to make their life miserable. It's not because you're trying to shame them. It's not because you want to put an F in red on their paper. You're testing them to see what they know and what they don't know so that you can fill in the gaps and make sure that they learn it before the real test happens. Sometimes in life, we get mad when God tests us. Testing is for their good. Here it says, I will test them in this way to see whether they follow my instructions. You have to remember, the Israelites were an agricultural people. Um, the thought of collecting just enough to, for a day was absolutely absurd. They would spend all year cultivating the land, growing, and when the harvest time came, if they had to work round the clock to ha- harvest every single ounce of grain, they would have, because they never knew when a famine was coming. If they were slaves, they never knew when Pharaoh would cut them off. So their mindset was hoard, hoard, hoard for survival, right? And now the Lord's saying, take just enough for the day. We don't live in a time where there's a lot of food scarcity, especially in United States present day. So the thought for us that there wouldn't be enough food tomorrow is kind of hard for most of us to comprehend. But the Israelites are in the desert. There is no Whole Foods. There is no Trader Joe's. They are literally without food. And so to just take enough for the day, that was a huge command. Like That's a big ask of the Lord. And what he was asking them is, do you trust that what I provide is enough? Do you trust that what I provide is enough? Now, some of us, we're all in different situations. 
But I believe the Lord asks us the same thing today. Because in our grumbling, there are things in my life I would like different. There are things that I would like to see happen. There are things that I would like taken away. And I can grumble about wanting more, wanting better, wanting newer. And the Lord says, do you trust that my provision is enough for you? Do you trust it? He's teaching them to rely on him. Because you remember, he's pulling them out of 430 years of slavery where there's a slave mentality. And now God's making them a new people. He's making them his covenant people. And he says, in order to be my people, you are going to need to rely on me every single day. Are we doing that, ladies? Are we relying on the Lord every single day? And then he gives them a second command. He says, just take enough for the day, accept except on the sixth day you will take double portions and on the seventh day you will have enough and it will sustain you. The Lord is issuing a new decree for this people. The seventh day is the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. Now for us, we think of Sabbath. Some of us think, wow, what a chore. What a hard thing to not work for a whole day. What would I do? But for the Israelites, they were slaves. They had never been given a day off. They worked day in and day out to stay alive. So this concept of trusting the Lord for rest is a completely brand new thing. And you can see the gift of that rest. As a slave who's worked seven days a week, the Lord's now saying, gather twice so on the seventh day you don't have to do anything. You don't have to work for my provision. Now the Lord is inviting some of us this new year to rest. We're not great at it. You and I, we want to be out there. We got stuff to do. You probably have kids that you're running around with. You got a husband maybe that needs stuff. You got a job that's demanding of you. You're maybe in the PTA. Maybe you're doing Rose Bowl stuff. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you guys are busy, right? And it is easy to want to work every single day to earn your keep, to feel like you're being productive, to feel like you're making a difference in the world. But the Lord still calls us to that same invitation. He says, will you rest? Will you trust me? to provide for you what you can't provide for yourself. So I don't know what your 2020 looks like. I don't know what your vision boards are, but I want to suggest a challenge of allowing yourself the God-given space to rest. When God created the world, that's one of the first patterns he set in place, the six to one ratio, six days of work, one day of rest. And I want to think, because I know myself, inward reflection, that most of us aren't doing that. Most of us are in the hustle, we're on the hamster wheel, we're going, 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 and we're not trusting the Lord that if we rest, the world, our worlds will not fall apart. So I wanna invite you to pray and consider Sabbathing this new year. Um, so testing, testing teaches us, it grows us. Um, it gives us this sense that, this is what I really want you to hear, if you are in a season of testing, don't think the Lord is angry at you, don't think that you've done something wrong, and don't resist the test. Um, when I was at the beach this last weekend, I, surfing is like one of my biggest life goals. Like if I'm a wannabe in anything, it's surfer culture and life. Um, I love watching surfers. I think they're so cool. I've tried it. I'm not very good, but it's like my ultimate. So I watched surfers for a long time this weekend. And what I noticed was this is one of two things can happen. When you're surfing and you're fighting the wave, if you don't know how to fight the wave or what the wave wants of you, you will get smashed. Um, one of my friends who's a surfer said that at, when you surf, if you take a tumble, the first thing you're trained to do is to relax your body. And if you relax your body, the wave will spit you out. But if you fight the wave, the, white, the wave will keep you in its grind. 
Make sense? Are you submitting to the test that the Lord has put you through? Because if you fight it, you're going to be in it a lot longer than you think. The sooner we learn the lessons, the better it is. Some of us are like second graders. We're trying to get out of the test. We're angry that God's testing us. We're grumbling. But here's what I want to tell you. The Lord is good, and he's testing you to show you something, to teach you something, or to bring out something new in you. So don't resist it. Don't resist it. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do in the test and be a good student. Seek to understand what he wants to teach you because it is for your good that he's teaching you. All right, moving on. We got next one. Um, I'm jumping down, if you're with me, uh, to verse 13. It says, so he gives them the rules, right? Then he says, that evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And the third point today is God's provision abounds. God's provision is more than we could ask, hope, or imagine. Um, I did a little research into this whole manna thing. Apparently, the word at the time, what is it, is actually manna. That's what they said, manna? What is it? They had no idea what it was. And I think in my head, over the years, I've thought that manna was something like sawdust, like kind of like gross, flaky, like powder that they're eating every day. So I did a little word search into it. Apparently, um, honey was extremely rare um, back in that time. And for a slave to own something as luxurious as honey would have almost been unheard of. And so it says, it describes later that the bread tasted like honey. Um, And one commentary that I read said, this was a divine treat. This is something that some of the slaves had maybe never tasted before. It was not sawdust. It was bread from heaven. It was better than anything that they'd ever had. It was better than anything that they'd ever hoped. It was better than anything that they could imagine or dream of. And so some of us have to remember that when God provides for you, it's always better than what we deserve. We don't always see it like that, right? You and I like to complain about the wafers, or I'm not, I'm on Whole30, I'm not doing sugar. Give me a different wafer, right? We have our own opinions of what we want of things. But the reality is God's provision is always enough, and it's always good. And it said each day that they were to go out and gather one Omar. And Omar is basically um, six pints. And if, if there were two million Israelites in the community, which was a conservative estimate, one person studied that it, there would be 45 tons of food that rained down every day. And to give you a picture of that, that would be, th- uh, that would be 30, um, 10 trains with 30 boxcars each. The Lord's provision is so abundant. And that doesn't just exist for the Israelites. It's the same for us today. He gives more than we could ask, hope, or imagine. And if you were with us last Exodus study, I'm going to keep making this point. Everything that happened in the Exodus story is a foreshadow for Jesus. And so this daily provision, this daily bread, all pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is our daily bread. It's a provision that's far more than we could ask, hope, or imagine. And in John 8, 6, 48 through 51, Jesus says he's fulfilling the prophecy. So the bread was given every day, and then Jesus comes along, and he helps the world see that he is the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which 
anyone may eat and not die. This is Jesus. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The Lord was preparing the Israelite community to see that he was a dependable God who would provide goodness for them each day. And when Jesus came along, he said, I am, I am the provision. I am the bread. I will satisfy you each day. And what I offer you is from heaven. It is better than anything that you will find on this earth. And some of us, if you're bread seekers like me, you've looked in other places for satisfaction. You've looked into money. You've looked into fame. You've chased relationships. You've chased success. You've chased an image. There is no bread that satisfies like the heavenly bread of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that doesn't disappoint. He's the only one that doesn't fail. And he's the only one that is there each morning to greet you and each night to say goodnight. The Lord Jesus never fails. He is the perfect provision. Um, I read a commentary that I really liked um, from John Corson. It says, it was hunger that drove the prodigal son home. And it is hunger, a hole in your heart, a longing in your soul that will drive you home as well. All you must do is humble yourself bow your knee and stoop to pick up the manna of the word and the manna of the sun, which God has provided so lavishly and lovingly, so freely and so faithfully. We are all born with a hunger that only the manna of Jesus Christ will fill. And he gives us his body, he gives us his life, his joy in abundance every day. So as you set out on your 2020, I want you to remember that each day Jesus is enough. Jesus is what you need. There is no shortage of him. He will never not be there. He is the only dependable thing on this world that will be all the way through to the next one. So wake up with Jesus each day and eat your morning bread and it will go well with you. Um, so carrying on, we're gonna jump over to um, the end of the chapter, verses 33. Um, it says, so Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So what, what Moses commands them to do is he says, take some of that bread, take a daily portion of it, put it in a jar, and we're going to put it in the Holy of Holies to remember. The Lord is asking us, to remember him. And so our fourth point is remembering saves. Remembering saves. So Moses gets the community to put the jar in th in the in the little or the bread in the jar. And what they do is they put it in the holy of holies. Now, if you remember anything about Israelite culture in the tabernacle when it was built, only one priest a year could enter the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred part. It was where God's presence was. And when they put that jar of manna in there, it lasted a long time. Where the bread before was filled with maggots the next day, this bread lasted through the, tab the time at the tabernacle for years and years and years. And it was a reminder of all that God had done for them. And so I wonder as we start this new year, what, is your, what does your reminder need to be 
What is the thing that you need to maybe put on your desk or on your table to remember the Lord's faithfulness to you so that when things get hard, when you feel like he's failing you, when you feel like he's not enough, when you feel like perhaps he's forgotten you and remembered everybody else, how are you going to remember what the Lord's done to sustain you? Um, one of the things I keep in my room, um, I had the privilege of visiting a Mexican prison a few years ago uh, with a service group, and we went into the jail, and we were able to talk to the women. Um, and for those of you that don't know, in Mexico, you're considered guilty until proven innocent. And so I met a woman in there named Priscilla, and she had a really weak kind of bandage on. And she, I asked her, I said, what happened to your wrist? And in the sweetest voice, uh, she was so precious, she said, you know, you know like when the police officer arrests you, he puts his boot on your hand? She said, when he handcuffed me, he broke my wrist. And I said, how long has it been like that? And she said she's been in there for nine years without a court date, without a medical appointment. Um, and it broke my heart to think that this is the way women in other parts of the world live. And I asked her, I said, what happened? And she explained the story to me that her ex-husband um, had been extremely a jealous man, and he came and burned their house down one night, and she was the only one in it. And so when the cops came, they needed someone to place the blame on, and she got arrested and put in jail. And she's been waiting for nine years for her court date to have justice prevail. And when I heard that story, I just promised her, I said, I will pray for you. I will pray for you every day that the Lord would show you his favor. And in jail, in Mexican prison, each woman gets one piece of their personal property, one thing. And she took off the necklace that she was wearing, and she said, I want you to have this. And I said, oh, this is your piece of jewelry. It was a beautiful, it has a little elephant in it. It's handmade. And she goes, no, I want you to remember me. Because if you're going to pray for me every day, you keep this to remember me. There are some things in our life that we need to remember, and one of them is the Lord's faithfulness. Where has the Lord been faithful to you, and what will you do to remember that? There are so many times that the Lord's been faithful to me in my life that I just forget. I'm a consumer. I take it for granted. I just move on and wait for the next blessing. What has the Lord done, even in this past year, that you need to remember moving forward so that when the storm comes, when the trial hits, you have a point of reference to go back to and say, no, even though I'm in a storm, the Lord is good. He's proved his faithfulness and he will prove it again. How will you remember? Another thing that remembering um, takes place in here is that they have the jar of manna, but then the Lord also um, brings them to the rock. And I want to read this. This is our last little passage for today. Um, it's in chapter 17. We're jumping ahead. Um, and so the Lord says to Moses in verse 5, The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So we come to this last little seating, and really what's happening is God is being put on trial right? It's Israel versus God. And they're complaining and they're testing him and they're saying, why did you bring us here? We're thirsty. Did you bring us here to die? And the Lord in his grace and in his compassion doesn't wipe them out, doesn't punish them. 
he blesses them. And so what he does is he tells Moses, he said, take the staff. Do you remember the staff that Moses had? It was the one that started all the plagues, and it's the one that parted the Red Sea. This is the staff of judgment. And so he tells Moses, you take the staff and a group of trusted people who are going to witness what I'm going to do, and you go into the desert. And here's the thing. So it's God versus the people. And God is the rock. So what really needed to happen was that rod needed to come on, down on the elders, those who were complaining, those who had been trusted in leadership, those who were testing God. But instead, God says, take the staff and strike the rock. He said, bring down the judgment on me and see what I do. And when he hit the rock, streams of living water poured out for an entire community to be fed and thirsted upon. And this, my friends, this is a picture of the cross. Jesus Christ is the rock that took all the judgment of our sins on us and out of that flows living water for you and I today. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 10, one through four, um, and it says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they had all passed through the sea. Remember the cloud led them through the sea? They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and drank the same spiritual drink, the water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied him, and that rock was Christ. Jesus has laid the judgment of the world on his son Jesus, and out of that, you and I get to drink the water of life. Are you drinking the water of life? Or are you grumbling and putting God to the test, demanding that he give you what you want? The reality is the Lord has provided for us above and beyond what we could ask, hope, or imagine. And the, the problem with me is that I always want more. I always want something new. I always want something else. And the Lord says, no, return to the rock, Jesus Christ. He is your salvation, and he is enough. He will provide. He is your daily bread, and he is your water. Um, so to kind of wrap this up, I wanted to remind us that grumbling is not the answer for 2020. Uh, there's a solution to that, and it's called gratitude. Instead of complaining for all the things that we don't have, we get the privilege of thanking God for all that we do have. Um, I read in one commentary, Tim Chesterson said this, and it really hit me, so I hope it hits you too. He said, grumbling puts God on trial and finds him guilty. Grumbling puts God on trial and finds him guilty. You see, the problem when we grumble, there's two major problems that I see. One, our grumbling is toxic. We don't realize it, but the second, have you ever been around a group of women and one woman starts complaining? And it's real easy to get on board, right? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with that team? What's wrong with this? And it could be something delightful, like a little cookie. And one woman says, oh, I think this is way overdone. And suddenly everyone else is like, oh, this is, just, this is the worst we've ever had. Let's, get, let's go back and get new ones, you know? Grumbling can be toxic. And so when you're complaining, when you're grumbling, it's really easy to influence everyone around you towards that. So as women of faith, as women who are chasing after Jesus and trying to be light in a dark world, I want to encourage you and champion you to hold in the grumbling and to pour out the gratitude, because gratitude's the same way, it's contagious. When you're around somebody who's always giving thanks, who's always praising, 
you get on board with it. Um, some of you know Sean Strovas. He's our hospitality pastor here. I have the privilege of having an office next to him, and he is one of the most grateful men that I know. And the other day, we, there was all these boxes to move, and Sean, it was all on Sean's back to do it. And so Sean walked in, and he looked at all the boxes, and he took a really big box, and he, said, he looked at us. He said, aren't we so blessed that we get to do this? And he started hauling boxes. That is the kind of attitude that you and I get to bring to other people. We get to say, hey, there's a lot going on wrong with the world. There's a lot that isn't happening the way I want, but look at how good God is. Look at what he has done. Look at all the things that we do get to experience because of him. So it's your and my job in 2020 to be grateful instead of be grumbling. And here's the last point that I'll make is when we do grumble, something really dangerous happens in our heart what happens is our hearts get hard. And what happens when our hearts are hard is it's hard for the blessings of the Lord to get through, right? When we have that hardness of heart, it's hard for us to trust him. It's hard for us to receive from him. It's hard for us to experience his love. Um, and I, I read this in Psalm 95. I think this is a good final closing for us today, just a word of encouragement or hope. Nine, Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11 say this. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did that day in Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." Be careful that you and I don't harden our hearts this year because when we do, we miss all the blessings of the Lord. We miss his rest. We miss his forgiveness. We miss his mercy. We miss his compassion. We miss his freedom. And we miss his love. And I don't know about you, but I need a lot of Jesus' love in 2020 to love the people he's called me to love, to love myself, and to love a broken world around me. So my prayer for us as we head into the new year is that we will be grateful people that we will speak the praise of God to others, that we will remind them that Christ is the rock and that we have firm foundation in him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just sit in awe of you, Father, that you took the judgment of the world and laid it upon Jesus Christ and out of that, that we have been forgiven, Lord, that our debt has been canceled and that each day you wake us with tender mercies, Father, for a brand new day. I pray, Lord, in this, in just today, Father, that you would give us eyes to see all the places that you've blessed us, Lord, that where there's grumbling in our heart, Lord, we would repent of that, and that we would turn to you instead and praise you for the manna that you've provided us in your word and in Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for this community of women. I thank you that we get to be in a church where we can openly love you and praise you and where we can be with other women who walk with us on the journey, Lord. So as each of us leave today, Father, bless us and keep us and may you make your face to shine upon us and may you look upon us with favor. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we do declare he is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.